So I got a question for you this morning. What stirs up hope and doubt within you? Okay, I'm going to ask a companion question, but what are the, if you could think of things or situations, maybe you even have something that, you know, you're facing this week. What is it that stirs up hope or doubt in you? Okay, what are the things that, that draw your attention to either of those two things? So I'll, I'll let you keep thinking about it. We, we, of course, we have nothing but time this morning, but, but there are limits, right? So, uh, so here's the second thing, and this is a little more personal. Just drive this home a little further. What's being stirred up in you more today, hope or doubt? What's, uh, what's having its way? I ask these questions. Because I believe that this whole book of 1 Thessalonians is an invitation to hope. To a real rugged uh, hope. uh, uh, A strong hope that there's something yet more than we see that's right before us now. You see, hope loses to doubt because hope is something that we must intend to or come to or receive an invitation to. It's, a, it's an initiative. Doubt, on the other hand, is just connected to all the sin that's rolling through our lives like a big tumbleweed. It, it's there no matter what. The, 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 the forces of the human disposition how we naturally think, how we naturally feel. And, and, and I know, because I've done this, I'm going to give you an illustration. How we naturally judge others is always agreeing with the human condition and sin. But when we step out in faith and lean not on our own understanding, then we agree with God and hope. You see how that works? And a lot of times as Christians, we're tossed to and fro by the things we feel, the things we see, the things we think. So early on in my ministry, I would uh, get all done with another one of my great sermons. And as people are going out the door, you know, I'm getting all that, you know, out of boys, pat on the back, it's all working out. And one person, I get nine, nine compliments, right? And one person, you know, or, you know, and usually in some kind of way talking about how I could have done that better, which is even a little more annoying, but that's okay. You know, just keep the comments coming, I'll work with this, okay? That's, that's, that's my work. Wrecked the whole Sunday afternoon. I'm thinking about the one comment because my nature tends to be drawn into that, which is that natural flow of the sludge that's just moving downhill and has been gathering steam 
of, of those who, you know, believe in God and sometimes those of us, th- those who don't believe in God and sometimes those of us who do believe. We just, the, the mudslide just comes through your life. The circumstances that we're tied through is coming in the front door, it's moving out the back door and through the windows. It's everywhere. And it's around us. You see... What's going on in Thessalonians is that Paul and his friends want and are desiring to invite this young persecuted church to birth hope in its current situation. I believe it's time... And it, it has been time for a while, and, and we're moving there. So like, I, this isn't just the time, okay? That'd be a little presumptuous of me. But I just want to say, this is a time that we're entering into. We are turning towards the hope. We have come through a, a season of dismay and doubt and, and difficulty. And, and we have worked on the healing and we, and we're, by no means are we done with that. But, but working through those things, as, as we look through it, as we, you know, we've talked about, are we, are, we, are we just looking in our mirror, are we looking out the window? Can, can, we, can we get that grip? And, and in all of that, it, it's time now to focus on the hope that is set before us. And I believe that that's what Paul wants to do. And, and this, uh, this amazing, this is simple, one verse is, is going to hold us for, for the whole sermon because I, I believe it's a threefold invitation to that kind of hope. And, and I, I want you to hear these words the way the Thessalonians would have heard these words. We pick up this book and we just start reading, okay? And, and so that's all I really want to do today is just take this first verse and, and just take a look at if, if you would have been in the first century. Uh, I, I, a friend of mine at the Good Samaritan Church, his parents were government workers and they lived in Thessalonica. I think in, in Greece today they call it Thessaloniki, but it's still there. And um, so if you were in the first century and you were opening this book, That's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear, and then this is going to sprout all kinds of wonderful stuff for hope in the days to come. The first part of this uh, is an invitation to leaders of hope. And so he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And we say, okay. So let me talk a little bit about these three people. They're actually pretty amazing. Paul you know the most about. He's a Jewish scholar, a Pharisee, a part of the temple, a graduate, secular degree from the the university in Tarsus, a Roman citizen. He's kind of the the whole package of, of, of a man of success and a person on his way. However, he also writes two-thirds of the Bible. He's the church's first main missionary and theologian. So not only does he have this amazing uh, bio, he has this amazing resume in the world. It has all been then transformed. And often, Paul refers to himself with all of that out front. you got to love this. Paul refers to himself as the chief of sinners. Check that out in Timothy. 
Paul never goes for the easy grab, which would, well, I used to be the chief of sinners. No. I am the chief of sinners, persecutor of the church. Pray for me, he says to the the Colossians. So when they see Paul, they say, whoa, this, this is a leader of authority. This is, this, okay, we, we see that. Then Silas. Silas is a, a, a trusted Jerusalem leader. He was also a prophetic encourager to the church in, in Antioch. He is a co-worker of Paul. He was a faithful friend of Peter. And he was one of the first to lead in the Gentile mission of Christianity. Remember, Christianity had, had been primarily a Jewish kind of a Jewish completion experience. Jews that had been involved in the temple and the law were seeing themselves now completed in grace. In fact, uh, the early church was saying, well, you'd have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And that got all straightened out. But not without some travail in the church. And so when they saw this, they said, well, here's a leader of outreach. Uh, not only do we have a, a leader of hope, but we have a leader of outreach. And then Timothy. This is the generation next pastor. This is a young guy who struggles with his ministry. I love that. We get two letters of Paul encouraging Timothy who, who, who may be having difficulties as a young pastor. And what does the New Testament do? To sweep that under the carpet? No, two full books about that. I would just hope, as the people of God, we could get more comfortable with with what unsettles us. That we could become more comfortable with our need and share that and pray for each other and and, and give each other hugs and say, "That's, that's what it's all about. We, we've come to, this is, this is a hospital. It's not a museum. You're not, you're, you're not under glass, right? You know, no dust and the, the, the perfect, Im- no, we're, we're the imperfect. We are the clay pot, the, the cracked pot, so to speak. You know, the, the, the psychoceramics. That's who we are. Not all there yet. God's still working on us. We are the under construction. So he's the generation next pastor, struggling believer. But check this out. His mom is Jewish. His dad is Gentile. So he's a part of that new breed of people that is is very open and inclusive to the things that are going on out there. He struggles to find his place because he sees the next generation and the next generation isn't quite sure about where this is going. And so, so he's in that struggle with them. And so they see the leader of tomorrow. Just by the words Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the Thessalonians read, authority, outreach, future, tomorrow. Wow, we better listen to this letter. They're saying, let us touch your life. Let us touch your community. Let us help you. Be teachable. Don't go it alone. Those who seek help receive hope. How comfortable are we? 
Let me just back into that again. The Beatitudes of Jesus are all about our neediness. He says, blessed if you're needy. And he gives you nine or eight tremendous needy things. You know, we want to come to church and we don't want anyone to know that about our lives. I'm not suggesting that we're going to just shout it from the rooftops here, but find somebody. Get comfortable with it. Are we at ease asking for help? really can be tough for many of us today. We, we live in a culture that is affluent and self-sufficient. Fix it yourself. It's all about the sludge. See, that's all connected to the human condition. We buy that and we start trying to do that. Let the Lion of Judah fight your battles. We're not, we don't have to fight them. We just got to own them. Yeah, that's me. I, that, that's, that's me. Help me. That's an invitation to, to leaders of hope. Second in, in the verse is an invitation to a family of hope. Then he writes this, to the church of Thessalonica, or the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things here. The word church was a very new word in, in, in the first century. They didn't have, in fact, scholars have gone back and forth with what Jesus was saying when the words church are put into his mouth. Well, here's what he was saying. He was probably stretching, he would almost always talk or teach in Aramaic, but he would probably stretch at that point for a Greek word that's called ekklesia or the gathering. In the Greek world, we would, we would be saying, instead of having a business meeting, we would be saying we're having a business ecclesia. We are gathering. Uh, so in the Roman world, in politics, the senators and all those people, everyone that gathers, gathers, and, and, and that becomes this, this gathering place. Uh, and, and, and we are the gathering of the redeemed. I, I love when we refer to this place is the chapel family, okay? That, that's what it means, the gathered ones, the ecclesia. But more important and deeper still is this in God, in Christ that you see uh, in this line. That we're not just gathered because we like to be together, but we do enjoy that, and, and we, we enjoy that fellowship, and, 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 and it brings us together. It fulfills us to be together. It does give us hope to see everyone here on a Sunday morning. But more than that, those in God. Which means we give ourselves to God's will. Literally, it means to, to be in God means we give ourselves to God's will. And check this out. Here's where the, here's where the, the hairpin turn is in, in our road where we kind of start thinking natural instead of supernatural. We let go of our ideas and we gain God's ideas. You see, there's two kinds of Christians. There are those who are, who are attempting to get what they want. They're coming to God to get what they want. And there's Christians who are coming to God wanting what they get. Think about that. See, if God is God, we just want to fall down before the throne of the Holy One, whatever you have for me. But we've turned it around. 
We've let the natural, we've allowed our, our leaning on our own understanding to kind of say, God, bless my ideas. Bless what I'm doing. Or look at my life. I need this, 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 and this. And, and, and what this is saying here is that there's this great opportunity to come before God on a daily basis and say, Oh Lord, prepare me to want what you have for me today. Whether it's Pastor Jeff stuck in traffic, not a good picture. You know, not always behaving himself. Okay? Or, or whether it all works out, you're in traffic, you've got the window down, and you, you, know, you lead someone to the Lord stuck on you know, Highway 680. Because they're just looking at you, and you know, it all, it's a beautiful day on the highway. See. What happens supernaturally in our lives? What if, that's what they're trying to say, what if the church were in God, in Christ, losing its best good ideas so we can hear God's best ideas? friend one time told me, once I get to the end of myself, I can find the beginning of God. Once I'm done with all of my good ideas and nothing's, nothing's hit yet, my ears open up to hear what God's been trying to tell me all along. That's in God, in Christ, gathered, listening. So there's a, you know, I, I, I just put here gut check. Are we in and with God right now? What, what's holding you back? Imagine for any of us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts that yes, we're in God, but there's no doubt more that we can be into God than we are. What's holding us back? If you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you come to church all your life or you're here for the first time, you stumbled in, you're court-ordered here, however, you know, however it works, you know, and, and you're here this morning, that this is a great opportunity to say, hmm, gosh, have I taken the invitation to be in the family of hope? I, am I immersed in that? Am I finding a way to get there? Third is an invitation to the future of hope. And these are two powerful words. We've worked with them before, but uh, it just says in the closing of this verse, grace and peace to you. So if you're a first century theologian or, or just a first century garden variety listener to this letter as it's being read to you, you would see grace, you would hear the word charis, and a bunch of things would happen. This word would just explode like 4th of July fireworks. Charis means grace, and grace means unmerited gift. To be confronted by the charis of God it can, can be a, a, a big deal, but it's, it's, it's also a great deal. Three things come to mind for me. Confronted with God, I begin to realize once again, I can't, God can, and I'm going to let God. I'm just I, confronted with God. Now, knowing how Paul was confronted on the road to Damascus, that ego of Paul's just started to shrink. 
I mean, he went from plump grape to raisin quickly as he fell off that donkey. And he was blind for three days. And all of a sudden, he's walking around, whatever you need, God, I'm, I, whatever this is all about. In fact, I, I, I love the picture. The, the testimony of Paul is, is in Acts two or three times. He shares it in Galatians. It's all over the place. But every time he goes, uh, you know, Lord, who are you? And he's, oh, please don't be Jesus. Don't be Jesus. You know, because that's who he's been persecuting. This is Jesus whom you persecute. Oh, I asked you not to tell me. But you see, he lived with that. And there's something really, uh, all I'm trying to say this morning is something really wonderful and whole and hopeful about saying, hey, we're all mess-ups. That's the starting point. That's the grace door. I can't. God can. I will let him. God, grace me. Grace me. We'll come back to a little more of that in a minute. The word peace would have probably, again, uh, there's words for it in the Greek, but most likely uh, in the first century, they would have just blipped that and just wrote the word shalom. Even today, there's not, uh, not too many of you that do not know the word shalom means peace, you see. And you see, the order here is important because unless you're graced, you don't have peace. And you can't get peace to be graced. You, you have to be needy and open and hands up and saying, oh God, grace me. I have no, at the end of my rope is the beginning of God. I don't have anything else. And that's where the peace comes with anything that you're struggling with. Well, the other thing about the word charis, in, the word charis also contains the word joy. And joy is the main ingredients to both peace and, and grace and hope. You see, what I'm really wanting to melt this down to is these next few lines. So listen carefully. I think this is just so, it's important to me. I live for this because there's just no other way to do this. Joy is never dependent on our circumstances. That would be worldly happiness. Okay, And you can get some worldly happiness from the human disposition. You know, you can win the lotto. Uh, I think people that win the lotto are happy for about 20 minutes from, from everything that I can see, right? And it goes downhill from there. But you see, the, the, the sustaining joy and peace and hope is not dependent upon our happiness or our circumstances or what we can achieve or what we can do. What we can do. Therefore, when we truly let go and let God's karas kara fill us with joy, hope, and peace, we are no longer rainy day Christians. Full of joy and peace and hope, the future is determined by God, not by us. And so here's, here's the secret. Here's the takeaway for today. The height of your joy, your peace, your grace, which is hope, is not dependent upon circumstances. The height 
of our hope is dependent upon the depth of your surrender. Okay? That's what it's all about. If you want high, holy hope, then I'm just telling you truthfully, hopefully, wonderfully, encouragingly, lovingly, surrender what you're holding on to. Surrender what holds. The depth of our surrender lets the capacity of God to overwhelm us. Do we seek true joy, hope, grace, peace, then surrender? We will not, even on a Christian basis, you will not find hope in successful ministry. You will not find hope in spiritual accomplishment. You will not find hope in Christian recognition from others. But surrender alone to the Lion of Judah all of a sudden puts everything in perspective. All the every worry. I know I'm scratching where it itches someplace. I know you're going to get back in that car, and I, but I got to go home and I got get, Monday morning. I got to uh, try it. Try saying, Lord. I, I want to surrender so much of this stuff that I'm, I'm trying to do. The height of your joy is never going to be uh, upon what happens uh, in terms of the human condition or, or our, our human disposition can never get you there. In fact, everything else, you know, well, gosh, if my marriage was better, right? You, if my this was better. And if Jesus were here, you'd know exactly what Jesus would say. We've turned it into songs, choruses, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all the things. He goes, beloved, I know your things. I look at each, each one of us. Have a mirror, look at myself. Each of us have things. We're, we caught that thing and we're saying, God, if you could just make that thing happen, I would be happy. I know I would. And God says, no. Surrender to me and I'll put the things together for you. So just a couple of things to start the series with this morning. Are we ready? Uh, be prepared to receive your invitation to hope. And you can do this by doing this a couple of ways. I'd love for everyone sometime this week in one setting to read the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. Five chapters uh, I, I, I bet, you know, most of you are pretty good readers, I bet you could read that as fast as you could uh, clear your emails. I was going to say read the newspaper. Remember, I'm an older pastor. But read a newspaper? What, what's that? Right? Or any other kind of place where you go. Just take it and then start reading a couple verses a day and asking God, hey, what, what's in this for me? That, that would be a way to get started. Ch let this look at your life. You'll, you'll notice this was in the bulletin. The next, uh, we, we made, 
you know, we may move some things around, but here's, here's the, the next five weeks. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been telling the leadership team and, and others, you know, you can't change your plan unless you have it. So the plan was, the, this, this was week one, and we, we would be done with part one by July 21. Well, we got a Mexico Sunday, we've got things happening, so we'll get there. But this is so simple. It, it, may, it may like fool you like it's not worthy of your time spent with your husband or your wife reading these verses, talking about the sermon, getting your small group together or those who aren't on vacation and just taking these questions and praying for one another and just becoming immersed in the whole thing of, of hope. Hey, I wrote this, uh, this little book uh, a number of years ago, and I, it, it's a little bit about King Solomon, it's a little bit about Ethiopia, it's a little bit about a bunch of things and, and leadership. And uh, when I was doing that, I, I got into a lot of really fun information uh, about King Solomon. And there's a lot of extra biblical stories about King Solomon. And this one is one of my favorite. King Solomon would sit at the, at the city gates of, of the, and David did this too, most of the Israelite kings when they were doing well, uh, would sit at the city gates and people would bring their problems. You've heard the story about the women who both said the baby was theirs and if you haven't read that story, uh, be good Bible students. Go find that story this week and, and read it. It's amazing. And this story is about uh, two travelers and one traveler comes in and, and says to King Solomon, Boy, how is the hospitality in, in, in Jerusalem? And, and, he, and Solomon says, well, uh, why do you ask? He goes, well, I just spent a couple days in Damascus, and I'm, I'm moving south and, and making my way, and Damascus was terrible, the city was crowded, the, the places to stay were yucky, the, the food didn't agree with me. The people seemed rude, and, and Solomon listened to all that, and he said, well, then I, if I were you, I'd probably move on to the next town. I, I, think, I think you're going to find the same here. Twenty minutes later, a traveler comes through and says, King Solomon, how, how would I find the hospitality in, in Jerusalem? And he says, I don't know, why do you ask? He goes, well, I was just in Damascus, and it was amazing down there. The places to stay were really unique. I had some food that I'd never tried before, but it was pretty good. And, 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 and uh, yeah, and, and, and King Solomon says, I think you're going to love Jerusalem. You ought to stay here for a week. The human disposition leaning on our own understanding drives so much of even the born-again believer that, that we, we lose sight of, of the way in which the gospel in its backward way, if I'm needy, I'm blessed. If I, if I can't, God can. It's so, so important. I just want to leave you with this word. I'm just going to read this as, as I close in prayer. You can find it. This would be a great thing also to just keep reading. Uh, Paul writes uh, close to the end of Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflowing with hope. I don't know if you 
done that lately, but a glass that's overflowing, nothing else can get in it. You know, you throw something in and it goes out with the overflow, right? Bug gets in it, it's gone. There's something else, it, it's gone. Because the overflowing of joy, this, this is the hope that we have to look forward to as we turn our focus towards these things. There, there is a way in which God wants to give a chapel a deep sense of that hope, that joy, that peace, that grace, that chorus that he has for us.